turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. I had lunch last week with a friend of mine. He doesn't go to our church, but he knows I'm preaching through 1 Peter. And the first thing he asked me when we sat down was, have you gotten to 1 Peter 3 yet? Because there's this, there's this couple verses about halfway into 1 Peter 3 that are just really weird. They're about like Jesus descending into the earth after he died on the cross and preaching to the spirits who are in prison. He and I had read this book about the weird things in scripture, the weird passages and the strange things that go on. And this is one of those passages that the author of the book talked about. The author of the book said that he'd been in a, come visited a church once where the pastor was preaching through 1 Peter and he got to this passage on 1 Peter 3. That was the next section. And he opened his sermon by saying, um, I will not be preaching on this passage because I don't understand it. Let's skip forward to 1 Peter chapter 4. Um, and so he's like, are you there yet? Are you there yet? And I had to tell him, no, we're still in 1 Peter chapter 2, but wow, I would so much rather be at the weird parts of Scripture than this part of Scripture. Because there's nothing hard to understand about what Peter's about to say. There's nothing difficult. There's not a lot that you have to understand to know what he's talking about. It's just hard. It just requires so much of us to obey. So listen, I'm going to read from 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 13. I'm going to go down through the end of the chapter in verse 25. Listen to what Peter is telling Christians. Remember, these are Christians who are being persecuted. Their, their government is suspicious of them. Their neighbors are suspicious of them. They are being persecuted. They are being looked at. People feel threatened by them. Listen to what Peter says to them. So 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 13. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourself to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example, that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray. But now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. I told you we're in this section now where Peter is telling us what to do. He's finally got around to telling us this is how you need to live. This is how you need to act. These are the things you need to do. And so we have commands. I mean, up until now, there's only been a handful of commands in the whole first chapter and a half. And now suddenly he starts giving us commands. And the command in verse 13 is the same as the command in verse 18. Submit yourselves. 
Okay, we've got to talk for a second about submit. Because kind of like, remember I told you about the word hope? It doesn't mean exactly the same thing in the, the Bible language as it does in our language. Hope in our language is the idea of wish, whereas hope in their language is the idea of waiting or expecting. So submit is also a little different. Submit for us is kind of a negative term. It's sort of win-lose. If I submit, then I lose. Whoever you submit to, they win. Submission is always a zero-sum game in our world. Somebody gains and somebody loses. It doesn't mean that in their world. It does not have those negative connotations. It literally means to place something behind or beside or, or under. In, in the, so the language of the Bible is called Koine Greek, and the Bible is only one of tens of thousands of things we have written in that language. We have so much from that language back in 2,000 years ago. The word shows up all the time. It usually isn't related to people because, again, you're, just, you're putting something somewhere. So the suburbs in their world, they would say that Dunwoody submits to Atlanta because it's placed off to the side of it. Atlanta's here in the center and Dunwoody is placed somewhere else. It doesn't say anything about which is superior and which is inferior and who's better and who's greater. It's just about placing something somewhere. And then sometimes it gets used for people as well. It has the idea of subordinating, moving something into a subordinate position. And there's two ways you can say it in their world. There's an active way and a passive way. The active way to submit something means you're lining it up. So a teacher would submit their students, meaning they would put them all in a line. And if I said to you right now, okay, everybody, I need you to make one line down the middle. And then I came down and I started moving people. I said, okay, you stand here and you stand here and you stand here. That would be submitting in their world. I would be actively submitting you. I'd be lining you up one after another. The other way you could say it is the passive way, where I say to you, okay, make a line, single file down the middle, and then you do it. I don't make you do it. I don't come down there and arrange people. You just get up and you start lining. And so Chris gets up and she stands first. And then Ida gets up and Ida submits to Chris, meaning she stands behind her. And then Cherie gets up and she submits to Ida, meaning she stands behind her. You do it yourself. That's the way it always gets used in Scripture, except when we talk about God. The only person in Scripture that ever actively gets to submit something, gets to actively put something somewhere else, is God. All the rest of us, we are told to, as they say here, submit yourself. Or if you're reading another translation, it might say, be submitted to, or something like that. It is something that you choose to do. You choose to accept the subordinate position. We're making a single file line, these people are lined up, and so you go and you stand behind them. You could push forward, you could decide, no, no, I wanna be at the head of the line, you get out of the way, I'm gonna stand here. You could do that, but you don't. You choose, you submit yourself, Peter says. It, it doesn't have positive or negative connotations. It means you subordinate yourself. You align yourself up behind something or after something. That's what Peter says to do. He says, submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human authority. Now remember what the human authorities are doing to them. Does anybody remember the whole controversy where sports figures wouldn't sing the national anthem? They would kneel instead. Do you remember how mad that made people? Maybe that made you mad. 
This idea that we will not honor the country that we live in. Instead, we will do a protest instead. That's how the Romans feel about Christians right now. Because Christians won't worship the gods. You're being bad citizens. They feel about the Christians the way people felt about athletes who wouldn't stand and sing the national anthem. They felt like you're being traitors. You've gotten all these great things from this country. You're paid millions of dollars. You have all these benefits, and you won't even be respectful. That's how the Roman government feels about believers right now. Because all they're asking you to do is burn a pinch of incense in worship to the emperor once a year. They're not asking you to put his picture up in the house and pray to it. Once a year, say the oath of fealty, burn the incense, bow and worship before the emperor. Be a good citizen. Keep the gods happy with us. And Christians wouldn't do it. And the government is getting very suspicious. You remember what people said about athletes who kneeled? Kick them out. I'm not paying to come see these guys who have no respect for our country. Get rid of them. That's what people are saying about Christians. Only when they say kick them out, they don't mean I'm not paying to watch them play football. They mean exile them. Take away their land and kick them out of our province. We don't want them here. They have no respect for the Roman Empire. They have no respect for the emperor. They have no respect for the gods. That's how the government feels about believers right now. And what does Peter say the believers should feel about the government? Honor it. Submit to it. Accept it. It is human authority for God's sake. Because you worship God, put yourself in a subordinate position. Don't make the emperor have to submit you. Don't force the emperor and the government to be active and put you in your place. Accept your position for the sake of God, not because the emperor deserves it. Wow, the emperor is Nero, okay? If you know anything about Roman history, this is probably the worst emperor in 475, 485 years of emperors. He doesn't deserve it. Out of respect for the office, out of honoring God, who is the ultimate authority, Peter tells the Christians, honor, respect, human authority because he says in verse 15 it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people now remember what he told us for us it was last week back up in verse 12 for them if we're just reading this it's five seconds ago he just told them you're gonna do good and people are gonna accuse you of being evil you're gonna do what is good and right and you're gonna get called evil It is God's will that you should do good anyway, knowing full well people aren't going to appreciate it. Like, this isn't going to happen today. You're going to live well. The the, the world is going to turn against you. You're going to suffer unjustly. You're going to respond well. They are not going to look at that and go, oh, wow, that's such a reasonable response. I never realized. Of course, they're right. They're going to accuse you of being evil. Do it anyway, Peter says. It is God's will that you live well 
and right. And somehow, someday, God is going to use that to silence earth. I think he's talking about the judgment. That that a day will come when God will judge the earth. And our conduct, our doing good, is going to be part of that. But you will do what is right. You will be accused of evil. Do it anyway, Peter says. Do it for the very government that is harming you. Live, Peter says, as free people. Now, that's a, that's a class of people, freedmen. Live as freedmen, he says. There's two classes of people in the Roman Empire. I mean, you know, if you're one of those people who divides the world into two, right? There's always two classes of things. But you're either a freedman or you're a slave. You're one of those two things if you're in the Roman Empire. And, it, and in some places, it's about 50-50. There are a lot of slaves in the Roman Empire. We'll talk about that in a minute. Live as freedmen, Peter says, to everybody. The church would have freedmen and slaves both in it. To all of them, he says, you need to consider yourself freedmen. People who are free have choice. That's really one of the fundamental differences between slave and free in the Roman Empire. You can't, and we talk about these words mean different things, you can't think about slavery in America because slavery in America, slaves were property. They weren't people. So like my car, I can treat it well or I can run it into the ground. It's my property. It's my choice. The car has no rights. In the Roman Empire, slaves were people. They absolutely had rights. Slaves could take their owners to, to, uh, to court if their owners weren't following the law. Lots of times, slaves got paid. What was different between a slave and a freedman? You can imagine two guys doing the same job on a farm. They're both picking strawberries. They're both getting paid. They're both probably getting food, shelter as part of the deal. They both have the same boss. They're both doing the same job. What's different between the two is the slave has no choice. And the freedman can walk away. And if the foreman says to the slave, you're not picking strawberries anymore, you're planting wheat, then the slave has to go and do it. Because slaves don't have agency. If the foreman says to the freedman, you're not picking strawberries anymore, you're planting wheat, the freedman can say, yeah, I didn't sign up for that, I'm out. And walk away. Freedman has agency. A freedman has choice. Slaves don't. Slaves just have to do what they're told. And Peter says to the whole church, again, which would include slave and free both, he says to all of them, hey, you are freedmen. You have choice. You have agency. You choose. And so what are you supposed to choose? Verse 16, choose to live as God's slaves. You have choice. Whoever you are, you choose. Now choose to obey God. Choose to treat yourself as if you have no choice but to obey. God is your master. You're God's slave. God chooses and you do it. He addresses the whole church and says, all of you do this. Verse 17, show respect to everyone. Wow, this is not new. This is from Genesis chapter one. God said, let us make man in our image. So God made man in his image. God created man in his image, male and female, he created them. All human beings are due respect because every single human being is made in God's image. And Peter's just picking up on that. Show respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. It's the word agape, you've heard it before. Be devoted to. Be devoted to the family of believers. Fear God, honor the emperor. Fear God. We don't fear the emperor. We honor the emperor because he's a human authority and God has said we need to honor human authorities. But the only one we fear, remember Jesus, again, Peter's not making this up. Jesus said this, hey, don't be afraid of people 
that can kill you because that's all they can do to you. Be afraid of God because God can kill your body and God can kill your soul. God can send your soul to hell. Do not worry about what people can do to you because all they can do is physical. But God can destroy all of you. That's who you need to fear. Fear God, Peter says. Honor the emperor. Even though, wow, this emperor is not worthy of honor. (laughs) No one in the Roman Empire thinks this guy is worthy of honor. His troops will eventually make him kill himself because he's such a nut job and he's making everybody look bad. But as Christians, Peter says, we honor the government that has turned against us because they're the authorities that God has placed in charge. And wow, I don't know about you, brothers and sisters. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that I have to honor a man as utterly reprehensible as Emperor Nero. But that is exactly what he says. And then he, he makes it 10 times worse. Because what, I don't know about you, I hope this isn't true for you. For me, when I read this kind of stuff, these like, look, you just got to do this. You got to submit. You got to obey. My inner lawyer cranks up. And I start working about, okay, sure, sure, but what about this? What about this? I start looking for this loophole and this edge case. What if it's a Hungarian dancing bear driving the boat? Then do I still have to stay in my seat? I spin out all of these possible ways that I can get around what he just told me I need to do, which is to honor and respect authority, even if they are not worthy personally of honor and respect. And my inner lawyer cranks up. And now he goes on to tell us what this looks like, in like, like for different groups of people. He's going to talk about slaves. He's going to talk about wives. He's going to talk about husbands. He's going to like, okay, look, we've had this general idea. You, you need to respect authority. And now he gets the absolute worst possible group to deal with. Because slaves have no choice. Peter says to slaves, to people who the very definition of their lives is they don't have agency and they don't have choice. Again, two guys could be doing the same job. The difference between them is the slave has no choice. And the freedman can walk away anytime he wants. And Peter says to slaves, in reverent fear of God, which is just what he said one sentence before, we fear God. Slaves, in fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters. Not just the good ones, but even the bad ones. He says to people who have no choice, you need to choose. Don't make your masters submit you. You need to choose to submit yourself. These kinds of passages where we talk about, okay, this is how this group acts, and this is how this group acts, and this is how husbands act, and wives act, and kids act, and parents act, they're called household codes, and they're incredibly common in the ancient world. If you can think of any old dead Greek guy that you've ever heard of, Plato, Socrates, Aristotle, whomever, or if you had to study any Latin, Cicero, Tacitus, Emperor August, Augustus himself, they all wrote household, household codes. It's incredibly common. Everyone writes, this is how people should live with each other. And it's no surprise we find them all over the Bible. I mean, there's like a half a dozen of them in the New Testament. Peter has them, Paul has them, James has them. This is how you live. No one in the ancient world ever addressed the slaves. Again, we have thousands of household codes in the ancient world. None of them address slaves because slaves have no choice. 
Why would you tell slaves how they have to act when they have no choice? Nobody bothers to tell slaves how to act. Every Christian writer does. Because in God's eyes, slaves are freemen. And freemen are slaves. Because God looks at people who have no agency and no choice. And he says to them, you work for me. I mean, I know you've got somebody who tells you what to do, but I am your master. You work for me, and I grant you choice. God gives agency to everyone. Do not ask me how this works. I do not know. We've been arguing about this for 2,000 years. The sovereign, all-powerful God of the universe who controls everything has given people total free will. I do not understand it. How can God be 100% sovereign and mankind be 100% free? It just, it doesn't work humanly speaking, but wow, the Bible says it over and over and over and over and over again. God, who is 100% sovereign, has made us 100% free. Whether you're a slave or a freedman, you have choice. No one else on the planet at this time talks to slaves as if they have choice, except Christians. You. You who, by very definition, you have no choice. You need to choose. You need to make these decisions. He talks to slaves just like they're like everybody else. There's just another group of people, and they need to obey. Just like husbands need to obey, and wives need to obey, and kids need to obey, and parents need to obey, and masters need to obey, and freedmen need to obey, and slaves need to obey. Peter talks to slaves like they're just like anybody else. They have just as much choice as everyone else does. And wow, do you notice how after the very first sentence, obey your master, nothing he says is specific to slaves. Like he starts out talking about slaves, and wow, he starts talking to all of us immediately. Because he talks to slaves like he talks to everybody. You need to make these choices he says, and he talks to him about verse 19 and 20. And again, I think he's talking to everybody. Look, there's just suffering and there's unjust suffering. If you suffer justly because you did something wrong, yeah, don't go complaining to God about that. You're not getting any brownie points. Oh, I went and I did this bad thing and I got punished for it. Yep, that's justice. But if you suffer unjustly and you endure it, Peter says, oh, then God, you, you have something to talk to God about. God is impressed with that, Peter says. That matters to him. And, verse 21, to this you were called. Suffering is a part of life. Just suffering because you do stupid things, and we all have. I mean, not you all, of course, but I have. We've all, I've done stupid things and suffered for them. There is just suffering, and unjust suffering is a part of life. And Peter says, you are called to this. There is nothing you can do to escape it. If you are a follower of Christ, you will suffer unjustly. Why? Because Jesus did. Because Jesus suffered unjustly. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow. We, we say we're followers of Christ, 
But we really ought to say we're like smorgasbord followers of Christ. Jesus is a buffet, and I really like the golden rule. I'll take a helping of that. But love your enemies? That's nuts. I don't want that. That's like lima beans. Take that away from me. Mashed potatoes? Yes. Lima beans? No. Golden rule? Yes. Love your neighbor? No. We, we want Jesus to be a buffet. We come and we, oh, I want this. I don't like that, but I'll take this. It doesn't work like that, brothers and sisters. We call him Lord. We are God's slaves. We are followers of Christ. And this is the path that Jesus chose to tread. The path of obedience and the path of suffering unjustly. He did nothing wrong, verse 22. He didn't say anything wrong. He didn't do anything wrong. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Isn't that the very first thing that goes to our minds? When we suffer unjustly, isn't the first thing that goes to our minds, how do I retaliate? What threat can I make to stop this? Because we all know the law of this world. If you hit me, I hit you back harder. Because what happens if you don't? What happened to him? They hit him, and he did not hit back. What happened? They crucified him. That's what our world tells you, and it's not wrong. If someone hits you, you hit them back. You hit them back harder, because if you don't, they will kill you. Yep. That's exactly what happened to him. (laughs) When we are attacked, when we suffer, normal human reaction, fight or flight, hit back or run away, Jesus, the night they came to get him, he's in the garden. It's the middle of the night, it's pitch dark, and the people with him have fallen asleep. He is sweating blood. He is begging God, I don't want to do this. Is there any other way? And all he has to do is keep walking. He's on the Kidron Valley, outside Jerusalem. He just has to keep walking. They will never find him. He can walk away. And he doesn't. He stays. And when they come to get him, and the soldiers come up to take him, and they say, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. He says literally in his language, I am. That's the name of God in Exodus. And when he says that, the ground goes, whoop! And everyone falls flat on their butt. All those soldiers, all those people, Jesus says his name from Exodus out loud, and the whole earth shakes, and every single human around him falls down, and he's standing there, and he says to them, you need to get up. And they get up, and they arrest him, and he goes with them. Wow, if he wanted to fight, he could have fought. He says a single word. The ground shakes and everybody falls away. He doesn't fight and he doesn't flee. He doesn't retaliate. He makes no threats. What did he do? He entrusted himself to him who judges rightly. He trusted God. When everything around him was collapsing, 
when he was being accused, he's accused of sedition. That's what they crucify him for. That's why above his head, it says, Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. There's only one big king in the Roman Empire, that's Caesar. Any other king, like Herod, king of the Jews, has to be appointed by Caesar. You don't go around saying you're a king. That's treason. He's not doing that. He's not overthrowing the Roman Empire. He's not leading a rebellion. He's not doing any of the things that they accuse him of. Even Pilate, the Roman governor, realizes that this is just jealousy. The officials hate him because he's popular. And they want him dead, but they're not allowed to kill anybody. So they've trumped up some charges to get the Romans to do their dirty work. He knows it's not true. He just walks with them. He trusts God. And he is crucified. The cavalry does not come to the rescue. This is not one of those movies where the hero's led up on the stage and he, he's stretched out and the, the guy gets his axe and he whips it up and he goes, wham, only instead of chopping off the head of the hero, he chops his chains, right? And he pulls the head off, and it's the hero's best friend, and they fight their way loose. They hung him up there. They nailed him to a cross. They left him till he died. He trusted God, and God did not save him. God saved us. God didn't save Jesus. He saved you, and he saved me. And he saved billions throughout time. Every tongue, tribe, nation, ethnic group. God, Jesus dies and makes it possible for anyone in any time who speaks any language anywhere on this planet to say back to him, please, yes, I need you. But he suffers to do that. He trusts God and God takes what looks like tragedy and turns it into the greatest victory in the history of the world. A, a victory that's still going on. It's not like winning the World Series one year. Or what? Georgia's won the national championship two whole years in a row. Death is still defeated 2,000 years later. Sin is never coming back. This is the greatest victory in humanity ever. But it happened because when he suffered unjustly, he trusted God. And God let him die. And God used his death for the greatest thing that has ever happened to this planet. We will be together again in Jesus' kingdom because Jesus suffered unjustly, kept his mouth shut, and trusted God even when he hung on a cross. Even when it was clear that there was no cavalry riding to the rescue. God was not gonna save him. This was part of God's plan to save us. And brothers and sisters, that's our example. Our example isn't Rambo, who valiantly takes to the hills and kills everyone who opposes him. Our example aren't all the people that, that, that go and hide and run away and hope it blows over. We don't fight and we don't flee. We stand and we endure. That's what we are called to. And these guys are doing it under a situation that is way worse than us at the moment. Nobody, I don't think anyone here has, it's been suggested that you be kicked out of Georgia because you're a threat. 
Your worship of this God is a threat to our nation, our state, whatever it is. That's what these guys are facing. And Peter tells them, you need to be like Christ. You need to trust God. When you're attacked, you need to endure it because the sovereign Lord knows what he's doing. Boy, I hope you see why I would rather preach on Jesus going into the depths and and preaching to the spirits who've been in prison since Noah because that's a cool theology lesson and we'll all walk out going, oh, wow, that's neat. Wow, this one, I have not enjoyed the last week of sermon prep. (laughs) Because stuff, every day, something happens that I don't like and my first response is anger. My first response is retaliation. My first response is threats. And I think about what I have been reading all week. Oh, I can't do that. That's not right. That doesn't honor my God. That's not who I'm called to be. That's not what he wants from us. Yes, I am a freedman. I get to choose. And I choose to do what God says. I choose every day to obey my Lord. And wow, that means I keep my mouth shut sometimes. I wish I could open it. And that means I sit quietly sometimes. I wish I could jump up and down. This is what we are called to, brothers and sisters. So I'm going to pray for us. Because, wow, (laughs) I guarantee you something will happen today. That what will go through your mind is anger, revenge, threats, my rights. How do I get even? What do I need to do? What you need to do is make no threats. Do not retaliate and instead entrust yourself to your God who knows all, who is in charge of everything, who is working everything together in his plan, who took what looked like the biggest loss ever and turned it into the greatest victory in in mankind's history. So pray with me. Jesus, thank you. I mean, you know I would never do this for you. You, you, you. you cannot be under any illusions that I would act this way to save you. But you acted this way to save me. You endured these things. You, you said your name out loud, and a squad of Roman soldiers were hurled to the ground. And yet you didn't walk away, and you didn't fight back. Oh, Lord, you are human. You know how hard this is. You know how much we hang on to our rights. You know how much we want to get even when people harm us. Oh, Jesus, please help us. Please help us to be people who look like this. I know I'm not. I've been reading this for a week. I know I do not look like this. And I know my brothers and sisters don't either. But Jesus, Peter says we're called to this. We're we're called to suffer like you suffered. We're, We're called to endure like you endured. And we're called to trust like you trusted. And oh, Lord God, that is hard for us. You know. Jesus, you're human. You know how hard this is. Please be gracious to us. Please be at work in us. Remind us. Help us. Bring this back to mind over and over again that we were called to endure when we suffer unjustly. And it is nothing that you have not already done. You are not asking us to do anything that you have not done far more than us. None of us are being asked to die for the sins of the world. Thank you. We're so 
grateful that you did that. Help us to follow your example. And not just to to treat you like a buffet line and pick out the parts we like, but to follow you wholeheartedly. To, to, To choose, like Peter says, each day to choose that today I am the Lord's slave. I will do everything the Lord desires. Help us, Lord. You know. You know how easy it is for us to to take that back, to be our own lords and our own saviors, to live our own lives. Help us. Jesus, without you, there is no way that we can do this and be these people. But with you, all things are possible, you said. Help us to be these people today and tomorrow and the next day and the next because it happens every day. Jesus, you are our God. We choose. We choose to be your slaves. We choose to do what you say and to obey you because you are good and you are kind and you are the greatest master we could ever have. So we pray all this in your name, Jesus. We love you and we're yours. Amen.